Welcome to Coding in the Classroom. Beza and I are talking to the teachers around the province, asking them about what they do with coding in the classroom. Today, we're really lucky to have Nicole Myers here to talk with us and tell us about her particular slant and her experience with in the classroom. So hi, Nicole, could you uh, just give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself, please? For sure. So hi, I'm Nicole. Um, I have been a teacher for about the last five years or so. So I graduated from what was formerly known as the University of Ontario Institute of Technology and is now known as Ontario Tech University. I graduated in about 2016. Um, and between then and now, I have really uh, balanced my time between teaching in the classroom. So I teach at the elementary level, primarily in the junior grades, so mostly grades four, five and six. Um, but also for most of the last six years, I was also very fortunate to work for a company called STEM Minds, which does um, coding and other STEM programming for both students and teachers in K through 12 education. Um, so during my time there, I was in the role of the chief education officer, developing a lot of our programs and workshops. And that was really where I built my skills when it comes to coding and other STEM technologies that I now integrate into my own classroom teaching. So I'm super excited to uh, share my own experience with you today. And and hopefully uh, share some ideas about how other teachers can do that in the classroom as well. Yeah, that, that's one thing that I was really interested in about in, in what you're doing is the, the way you integrate it and whether yeah. you integrated it to STEM, STEAM, uh, and you integrate more than just coding, obviously. Yes. So yeah, could you tell us a little bit about your journey towards in, like having that kind of integrated approach? Yeah, absolutely. Classroom. So yeah, this really started um, when I was actually at UOIT or OTU as it now is known, where it was um, the first, uh, so I was part of the first group that was doing the two-year teacher's college program instead of the one year. And that was when um, like coding and other STEM technologies had really started to be a greater focus. And so for me, I have an English background. So that's always something I share. I did not come into this knowing everything there is to know about STEM and coding. Um, but really where it started for me was kind of selfishly just hoping to set myself apart. I knew this was something that was becoming um, more important in schools. And so during my time there, um, that was something I wanted to focus on as kind of a way to set myself apart. Um, and so uh, when I was there, I volunteered in the um, Maker Lab that uh, I think is still in operation. Um, and then that was something that I really saw how much fun the kids had and how much fun I was also having learning about it. Um, so when I graduated, I was really fortunate that another person who was in the same program as me um, had started working at STEM Minds and told me about it. And I was like, oh, that sounds fantastic. It was local to me. It was kind of a continuation of what I wanted to learn more about. And so I got started there again, having very brief experience with STEM and with coding. So again, did not come into this knowing what I was doing. And over the next six years, I really evolved uh, my own understanding of STEM learning and teaching and why I truly believe it's so important for students to be experiencing in the classroom, particularly with the focus of um, really having a more holistic approach to STEM. So something that I started to notice as I familiarized myself a little bit more with the world of STEM teaching was this kind of I think over-reliance and over-focus on coding and robotics to the kind of exclusion of everything else. And something I was really thrilled with about my time at STEM Minds and why I loved working there so much was because we really took the approach that STEM is about more than just coding and robotics. And we really took kind of like you were just talking about that idea of a STEAM approach where really it's not about learning about the technologies per se, because those are very quickly going to become obsolete and we're really going to have to move past that. It's really about 
How do we learn to learn about these things? How do we build our skills in such a way that when these technologies inevitably change and evolve, we are agile enough that we are able to respond to those changes. And it's not, oh, well, I only learned how to do this one thing. I only know how to do that thing. And now that it's become obsolete, you know, I can't transfer those skills anywhere else. It was really about how do we understand the integrations, not only between these skills and the real world, but all of these different skills. Like what is the relationship between coding and 3D design and video game design and graphic design and, you know, animation and, you know, film and photography, what there is uh, integrations and there is connections between all these things. And I find it's really by taking that more holistic and that more real world approach that not only do students gain a deeper understanding of what actually is STEM all about, but they're actually building the skills they need to be successful in the 21st century because it's really all about that kind of agility with learning or what we call fearless learning where no matter what comes your way you're not afraid of it you're willing to kind of approach that learning head-on um, mm. and really kind of dive into it and so that's always been the focus in yeah. my own teaching when I want to integrate that into the classroom um, it also very much comes from you know my own experience as a teacher um, and going into the world of STEM not having had any prior experience with it. Like I said, I had an English degree, so that was not something I'd experienced before. And I really saw in my fellow teachers kind of two main sort of stumbling blocks. And that was number one, um, a fear themselves of not knowing what they were doing and therefore not knowing how to bring that into the classroom because they don't want to look quote unquote stupid in front of their students. And number two, a lack of understanding about how to integrate STEM into the curriculum that already exists. A lot of teachers looked at it as, oh, great. Now this is another thing that we have to do. What am I going to have time for this? Like I already, there's already so much in the curriculum, you know, I can't fit this in. And so yeah. really my approach has always come from the idea of how do I in both myself and in my colleagues across the province, how do I help them understand that this is absolutely something that anybody can do? And it doesn't have to be, you know, super fancy when you first get started out, there are really meaningful ways that you can do things with your students that are both impactful and easy, yes. <laughs> luckily enough. And there's also lots of ways that you can integrate this into the curriculum as it already exists. And so the yes. one I'll be mostly focusing on today will be a video game design project that I've done with my students that I think really integrates a lot of concepts, especially in the language and the arts curriculum, which is where most elementary teachers tend to have a bit more experience. So I've really found that taking mm -hmm. that approach um, really enables me to deliver really impactful experiences to my students, but also helps me show other teachers as well that this is something that you can do and it can fit into what you're already yes. doing with a few small tweaks. Yeah. So you're, you're sort of talking about um, some of the things I wanted to, to, to follow up on. Like, yeah. so you've talked about ag agility of learning. Yeah. Uh, so how, how do we encourage teachers to embrace that agility of teaching? So yeah. the, the ability yeah. to, you know, that ability to integrate, you know, that, uh, you know, and, and all the advantages that go with integration yeah, so I've really found in my own experience that a lot of times with teachers, it's not so much that they don't want to, it's that they don't know where to start. And getting started can really be that overwhelming stage, especially because for things like coding, quite frankly, there can be a pretty significant learning curve when you're first getting started. There's a lot of unfamiliar tech um, terminology, excuse me. There's a lot of um, kind of just more computer-based sort of know-how that you need to have that you may not fully understand. And so oftentimes it's just that initial step that they need to take. And once they take it, then that 
kind of train keeps going, but it's that initial step that they need support with. And so I've always found that really sharing meaningful activities with teachers that they can kind of implement sort of as a recipe to get started. That's not absolutely where we want teachers to end up, but it's that good starting place where they go in feeling confident. They feel like they know what they're doing and they're able to implement it successfully. And then having that success encourages them to kind of keep trying things, keep modifying things. I've also really found, and that's part of why I love video game design so much. I do usually tend to approach coding from the kind of lens of video game design because it's a very practical application of coding. I find especially for teachers, but also for some students, when they're first getting started with coding, especially in K through 12, sometimes I think there's that sort of blockage of they don't really understand why they're being asked to do this. Sometimes we end up doing what I call sort of coding for coding sake, where we are coding just for the purpose of because we were told to, and we don't actually understand what is the relevance of building this skill? What is the relevance of what we're being asked to do? Whereas when we take a video game design approach in coding, it's very obvious to everyone, well, you're coding to make the video game work. It's also a really great connection for students because I always, you know, make the comment that, you know, anytime you ask kids nowadays what they want to be, the two top answers are YouTuber and video game designer. And so it's something that students- And if you can be both. (laughs) And if you can be both, that would be even better, right? Absolutely. And so it's really something that students already have a personal connection to. And so then they're excited to try it. They're like, okay, you know, even if I'm a little bit hesitant, I don't have experience in this area. You know, I like video games, it would be cool to make my own video game. You know, I'm engaged in this learning. And that I think also helps teachers be a little yeah. bit more um, inspired and confident and, to do that and with it, their students as well. It's important for the teachers to know too, even if uh, the, the students are not completely successful coding like a successful yes. game, it doesn't matter because what yeah. goes into that product is yeah. the is the learning and, yeah. and one thing I'd like to also highlight about what you just said is like the coding for coding sake, which is really um, that's, that's a useless pursuit. Just, yeah. just to learn to code to code, uh, is, is not going to do it for you. That's this why. Is what I'm... Yeah, go Sorry ahead. Sorry for jumping. This is what I'm understanding. It's uh, a little out of educational settings, coding for coding sake. This is what we are seeing all the advertisement out of school settings, but for educational settings, in educational settings, we need to see coding for sake of something else. Yeah. And I would like to jump here about because you already mentioned the curriculum and you're working uh, as a part of STEM curriculum development in STEM minds. And we talk Mm -hmm. about the support for teachers. We talk about the recipes for teachers. So how curriculum helps you in that mind and how curriculum development you're working in helping you to integrate this in your teaching in classroom. So I would like to hear more about this curriculum uh, thinking about, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So um, especially when I was still uh, very active with STEM Minds, this was very much before coding had been explicitly integrated into the Ontario curriculum. So really the first time that happened was in 2020, but we had already been doing stuff for four years before then. So we had always taken the approach of, okay, we know if we want this kind of learning to be in schools, we can't just say, oh, this is like an extra thing you're going to tack on because that's just, you know, especially as a teacher with experience in the classroom, I'm like, that's just simply not going to happen. Teachers are very busy. So it needs to fit into what we are already doing. And so that meant we were always looking for, okay, well, what are the curriculum expectations that currently exist that can be connected here? And that really goes back to as well, that idea of, um, you know, we don't want to just code for coding sake. We want to make it really meaningful. And in order to do that, it needs to connect to other areas of the curriculum. And especially even now, even that coding is in both the science and the math curriculum, you know, 
I think it's also important to be realistic with teachers. And this is something I always, you know, said with them. I'm like, you know, when you are going to do coding and do it well, this is not something that you're just going to bang out in a 40 minute period. Like it is a time investment. And so if you're going to make that time investment, it has to be hitting multiple curriculum expectations. Otherwise you've just spent way too long on something that is not actually addressing the curriculum. So it was really always coming from that framework. And it was also coming from the idea of it's kind of back to what I was saying earlier of where are teachers already confident. And especially at the elementary level, that tends to be more in the areas of like language, social studies, art, and a little bit less in kind of the science and math area. So it was also about how do we leverage the strengths that teachers, myself included, again, English degree over a year, um, how do we leverage the strengths that teachers already have? And then parlay that into something that might be a little bit new for them so that it's not so overwhelming. Um, and so to me, it always came from the idea of, and especially that's why I love um, video game design so much, or another project that I always love that I think is a really great beginner option is, you know, in things like Scratch, being able to create like an animated story was really looking in the language curriculum and seeing, okay, we've got some really great opportunities for writing here in terms of, you know, creating a plan for your story or game. You know, something I do when I do video game design is they have to write like a little blurb for their game, almost like, you know, if you purchase a game on the back cover, essentially, what does it say? Even writing little character bios. Um, so there's lots of different opportunities for writing, um, but also, for example, taking a look at things like media literacy. So especially to, you know, if we're thinking about the medium of video games, you know, when we analyze video games, what kinds of messages are being given to us? When we're looking at advertising, what kinds of messages are being given to us? Who's being represented? in these games, um, for example. And so being able to take that kind of broader scale approach makes these kinds of projects more worth the time investment that they do have. Um, this is also where, again, thinking back to the idea of trying to avoid coding for coding's sake, it makes the learning a little bit more meaningful. I find a lot of times, and like, you know, <laughs> no offense to anybody, but a lot of times, for example, when school boards themselves or school districts themselves are kind of putting together resources for teachers in order to implement coding, especially now that it is in the math and science curriculum in Ontario, um, I find oftentimes they seem to be approaching it with the kind of mindset of what is the lowest common denominator? What is the absolute easiest thing we could have teachers do? And I actually find that oh, sometimes that tends to backfire a little bit more it, because it it's not engaging. And it's it's almost, I don't want to call it insulting, but it's, it's, it's undermining, I think, what teachers are actually capable of. And it doesn't really inspire yes. them to want to do more. They well, just go, okay, here's this thing. Yeah. I can do it quickly and then I'll move on. Instead well, of actually thinking about- That's what, what Sir, Sir Ken Robinson said. It's, he says, not that we aim too high and fail that is the problem. Yeah. It's that we aim too low and succeed. Yes. And, and Ooh, we, that was and, a good quote. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's, that, that's probably a, a good way to sum up what my career has been yeah. like, you know, yes. it's like, okay, what can't, what can't we do? Why can't we do it? Off we go. And, yeah. that, and that's where I've found that coding has led me to much higher, higher ceilings from low mm -hmm. floors that I've started yeah. in, in mathematics and science and in, in, in literacy as well. Yes. So like when you're, as you said, like when you're creating a game, uh, and you have to like you have to, you actually have to flesh out your character first. Yeah. So you have to know what that character is going to be like. Where it when we're normally uh, doing you know the the process writing that you know it used to be so crazy popular yes. before. It's like okay, I've got a character. This is what he looks like. Done. Yeah. And, and there's no thought put into you know why the wares and all of those things. Where this yeah. really does it, it. It's not that it. Um, 
it's not that it is because of the coding that we're doing, but it's because of the medium. So yeah. like you said, like the, the game design is really robust and can like carries over so many different curricular areas. Could you go through that for our, for our math listeners, like just reassure them that when you're gaming, you're, you're mathing as well. Yes. Well, so we always take the, so I always remind people that it's not, I mean, absolutely at the end, are the students going to play their own video games and they're going to play each other's videos games? Like, oh, yes, yeah. for sure. Because that's, uh, you know, that's what they've that's, been working towards. That's right? the point. But, <laughs> exactly. But it's not um learning through gaming. It is learning through the development of a game. So really the focus is on the, actual coding component of developing the game and kind of being able to play them at the end is the nice experience to see well especially to how did other students approach it it's also really useful and even thinking back to that idea of sort of low floor high ceiling that's always really the approach that um we took at STEM Minds and I take in my own teaching as well is the beautiful thing about especially video game design when we're talking about coding is that you can take this kind of basic framework of, you know, we are creating this style of game. So let's say, you know, um, it's a, you know, blaster game, for example, there is very much a kind of like basic skeleton framework that you can use where you have a, a functional game, but it's very basic. And then layered on top of that is tons of different extensions that you can add on. Maybe you have, um, you know, a time limit, maybe you have, you know, different levels, maybe you have a different number of enemies and they behave differently and you can start to layer that on using the same skills that you would develop before but now kind of extending it out in new ways so students who are ready for that next level of learning have that opportunity to extend it out whereas students who may be struggling a little bit more maybe they just stay at that base level and maybe they only add on one or two extensions and so that's even the beautiful thing about you know, once you have that kind of base layer and then giving students those extensions to really run with it, you actually end up with, I find, a much greater variety of student projects as well, whereas a lot of kind of traditional coding resources, every child ends up with exactly the same thing, which can be kind of boring and disappointing at the end. And that's even the beautiful thing about video game design is if you take that approach of, you know, let's work with this base layer of the game we're building, and then here are some different ideas that you can add on to really make it your own. Even then, when students are testing out each other's games, they're able to see whoa 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 you have something in there that I didn't have that's really cool how did you do it well, and they're able to have that conversation of that learning and especially too with tools like you know scratch with tools like make code arcade you don't even have to ask sometimes you can just look at their code and be like oh okay like that's how they did it that's awesome and so even through that playing of the game because they're really kind of still behind the scenes and able to see the code they're still learning from that experience yeah. because everybody had something different yeah, that's that's something else that I'd like to 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 highlight too for for our listeners is that uh, when you look at uh, students' code, you can you can very much you're very much able to see what they were thinking. Yes, and and if you can't, then you have to ask them. So I've yes, had exactly. I've had a student in the past who came up with like a really really beautiful way to 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 uh, to produce the the Fibonacci sequence, which mm. I'd been struggling on at the time and yes. <laughs> couldn't get it. Yeah. Uh, and and this kid came back in five minutes and said, "Oh, this works." And I yeah. and I had to ask him. I said, "Like, okay, walk me through this because yes, it works, but why? Sort it of works really really well." Yeah. It has so few blocks. How did you do this? And tell yeah. me how it works. And and it was it was amazing how much of his thinking I could see just with that conversation and yeah. looking at his code. Well, I think that's even a beautiful thing as well. And that's something that I've also kind of focused on in my own sort of communications about coding, especially with other teachers, is I have often found that 
it's kind of through coding and through STEM that a lot of times our students who in other subject areas might really struggle, they actually have the opportunity to shine. Um, and so this is really a stage where, you know, I've been doing you know coding and especially coding with video game design for years. And without fail, every single time a student does something and I'm like, wait, what's that? I've never seen that before. Like explain to me how that works. Like I wouldn't have thought that through, especially because, and that's something I always tell people, uh, coding actually does not come easily to me. It's something that I really have to work to words. And even now, after all these years, there's still times where I'm like, okay, I know what I want to do. I don't think I know how to do it. And so I have to really think it through. It doesn't come easily. And so being able to see other students and really learn from them really gives all students, I think, and really starts to build that culture of we are all learning from each other. And also that, you know, I am not the sole expert in the room. Sometimes students ask me how to do things. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know how to do that. Like, we can try and figure it out together. You know, we can ask other people, maybe we'll research it a bit. Maybe we'll just try a few things and vibe it out and see how it goes. But sometimes they just ask me things. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know how to do that. I'm like, it would be cool if you can figure it out. Let me know when you do. But it's like, I don't know. And yeah. so sometimes it really forces them to kind of work for it a bit more as well. And so I really find that mindset, I think also is really beneficial for teachers because for so many teachers, well, that's what they want to see in their classrooms, right? That's really kind of their vision for their classrooms is that's the kind of culture they want to build. And so I find yes. this is really a great opportunity to um, yeah. really start to build that in a way that's authentic. It's not really something you have to force as much because students kind of naturally look at each other's screens and go, whoa, 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 what's that? Like, show me how to do it. Um, and when yes. you embrace that, you're really able to have a lot of uh, really valuable experiences with your students yeah. as well. And, 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 and this is the yeah. No, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. I just want to mention this is the uh, what is keeping the excitement in the environment because we couldn't get it while teaching science or mathematics because teacher and at some point while the uh, students still trying to learn. So you couldn't share the excitement. But when also the teacher sharing this excitement, it's just flowing. It's just never end. The exams, you're still learning all together. And it's, I think, uh, this is really reflecting to our students and keeping all this. This coding interrogation is, I think, the best side of it to keeping the exam in the classroom and never they lose this learning, uh, the ambitious of learning, the enthusiasm of learning through this uh, school or out of school time. Yeah. Yeah, well, it also brings in that resiliency piece as well, right, where I always focus on the idea with teachers of, again, often the kind of mindset is they are afraid to kind of like have it not go well with their students and then kind of look look stupid, quote unquote, is kind of that idea. And so I always go with the conversation of, you know, absolutely go in prepared with what you're going to do. I'm not saying go in and wing it, but like, and that's even something I always remind my students, it's not if you make a mistake, it's when you make a mistake and really having that conversation about, you know, even professional Co like computer programmers they make mistakes all the time like there's even like little sayings about coding like coding is like 90 percent is like 10 percent coding and then 90 percent going why is it not working basically and so it's like that is a part of it and so I think it really builds that kind of like resiliency that problem solving with students as well that acceptance of the fact that like mistakes are going to happen and that's actually how we learn and so even as a teacher you know all the time when I'm like doing the code in front of students I'm like three steps down I'm like oh sorry we got to go back here sorry I forgot something like that's why it's not working I'm like I'm now my game is is gonna work let's watch it children it's like oh no it didn't work hold on let's figure out why oh okay yeah. here it is and they can kind of see in real time 
me going through that thinking process of like that didn't go the way I thought it was going to go like let's troubleshoot figure it out and even through that there's that experience so I think that's really always the message to teachers is there are so many robust opportunities not only for curriculum connections but also about you know building a really strong classroom culture of kind of everyone here is learning from each other and teaching each other and also that acceptance of mistakes and problem solving and resiliency and so there's just really an endless number of benefits to to that integration. Uh, we are always discussing this while we are doing our own teaching or we are discussing in theory, whatever. So we are trying to set the curriculum ex- expectation very well and you're working on this. This is what I'm mm-hmm. asking. And you're also teaching. So yeah. we are always feeling that we are going beyond, even we set the curriculum expectation, the lesson plan, while teaching, we're always going beyond that. So I'm understanding your uh, experiences also is in line with this, right? You're always just beyond of something. So could you please tell us some particular example, maybe surprise us and the listener to just, because we really like to listen this kind of example, how our students go beyond and how just they uh, surprise us in a very good way. So could you please tell us how you set your curriculum expectation and how you go beyond the pet and I also want you to include some not just on this uh, you also tell us some transferable skills but I really want to listen this what is beyond STEM because you already mentioned your uh, media literacy so I'm understanding there's literature on the board so there should be art on the board in game designing should be there so yeah I'm just living the yeah uh, yeah, so really what you said as well is, you know, it's it's about more than just like what are the kind of like specific expectations or the overall expectations that are already explicitly written in the curriculum and a little bit more about, you know, how can we connect to students' real world passions? How can we get them engaged in the learning process? How can we get them engaged in learning from each other as well? Um, I think a really great example of this would be um, generally in the project um, that I do with students is they have to actually not only like develop the character from a sort of like storyline component, but also from an art component as well. So we talk a lot about, you know, different ways that in both movies, but also in uh, video games, really animated movies and and games, obviously, because they're animated, um, the idea of concept art. So the idea of, you know, even in, you know, the early like 80s and late 70s when video games were first being invented and all you could really work with were these like kind of sad square pixels. That wasn't how, you know, video game designers saw those characters in their brain. They saw them as fully fleshed out characters with a very specific art style. They were limited by the technology in terms of what they were capable of actually creating. But when they were in the process of development, they had a much broader um, kind of approach to what would that character look like. And so a really great example of that would be kind of an offshoot is we oftentimes do um, some sort of like concept art for our students. Um, Something that I've done in the past that I really liked um, was we used this website called Hero Forge, which is I actually think a little bit more meant for people who play Dungeons and Dragons, where you can kind of design characters. But I was like, it's also a really great tool for um, just concept art, and especially too at the elementary level. Not all students are necessarily the best drawers. Obviously, we have some students who have very strong drawing skills and other students who don't so much and so I find using that kind of tool really enables all students to have that experience of this in my brain is how my character looks um I also think this is where we also have that conversation about a really big lead up to this project for my students is understanding diversity and representation in video games. We talk a lot about how, you know, games are kind of stereotyped as being for, you know, men and boys, but actually um, it's about half and half. And actually girls are the fastest growing uh, group of uh, people who play video games. We also talk about, you know, who is actually 
designing these games? Why are so many video game designers white men? And how does that kind of lead into the kind of represent, re representation, excuse me, um, that we see in the games themselves? And so we talk about, I think, the one statistic I usually share with students is like only 4% of um, video game characters are Black. That doesn't really make sense. Um, why is there such a kind of disproportionate level of representation in these games. And so we really talk about, you know, our games are going to be with the explicit purpose of improving diversity and representation in our games. And that's why a tool like Hero Forge, uh, which I mentioned before, is such a great option because it has such a diversity of, um, of like skin tones, of body types. There's even an option to have your character in a wheelchair. So we even see some uh, disability representation there as well. Um, so it really inspires students to think about, you know, I play video games. What am I seeing? What does that mean? Like, why have I never maybe questioned this before? Um, something that I also found really interesting was, I think this was with the group I had last year, where oftentimes for DPA, we do just dance. And they were like, wait, we just, we all know that like, they're not actually animated dancers in the game. It's real people dancing but they put this kind of white filter over all of them so all of the characters look white like they're literally white like the color white not the skin color white um mm -hmm. but you know why is that like why did they make that choice like what does that maybe mean because like we watch some behind the scenes videos and we see that okay that's not that all the dancers are white so why what does that maybe communicate to people when we play that kind of game so they even start to make connections and i was like whoa i've never thought about before you know i've yes. used that with my students for years and i never even made that connection so it really starts to enable them to have that sort of broader questioning stance about the world around them and their own experiences and to really start to bring that into the classroom and deepen their understanding. So again, we really see there that it's not so much about just coding the video game, although that part is fun. It's about what are the broader connections we can make to mm -hmm. this idea of something that most students have all experienced at some point in their lives and some of them maybe even love and this is the career path that, you know, maybe at 11 years old they, they envision themselves taking. And so really enabling them to start to think about what does that actually mean? What does that yeah. actually say about our world and how can I start to have an impact on that yeah, and question and, that and a little how, bit more deeply yeah and how how can we tell those stories exactly and mm -hmm. so like story is is like that's like a cultural imperative for mm -hmm. well, it's a human imperative we we yes. need stories we tell stories I know that's how my son learned to love history is through uh yes. through video games that told stories and it yes. would bring up real character like characters real people in history yeah. and he would and then he would go and look it up and now he's a now he's a historian yeah uh, so it, it's it's a it's a great learning medium as well as being a good teaching medium at the same time yes. and so like and we can get those cultural stories out uh you know so i i know there's a there's a project in ontario i believe but it could be also bc i'm not really sure uh, where they've uh, gotten um, some high school students from indigenous, from like yeah. indigenous high school students, to do this video game project, uh, so that they can tell their stories as they see them, and it's powerful, powerful it really for is. them to be able to create it. Uh, but it's even better for us to be able to play them. You know, so you know we learn from from these games and why not and 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 one of one of the um demographics that actually plays games is uh sorry uh more experienced people or people who have like a certain amount of age like i am mm -hmm. so so that's actually a big thing too because everybody thinks it's just kids who play yeah. video games but it's not no the kids don't have all the money it's, yes. it's <laughs> or the time like old, it's us older <laughs> folks who have yes. have you know I, you know, I can maybe afford like a $90 game more than, you know, 
a 16 year old could yeah. maybe not yeah yeah i was just coming to this point and what about the accessibility yeah it is it's definitely representative and it is very gentle and productive way to touch critical issues like indigenous community or different races and different issues like uh, disability and other problems about globally so what about accessibility of the developing of the game yeah, so that's um, something that I think we still have a long way to go in terms of the world of STEM. I know um, something that we really found over um, over time, especially when I was working at STEM Minds, was nice. there would be a few different uh, occasions where we would have students, um, for example, with vision loss. Um, and luckily, the first time we ever encountered it, it was uh, when we were running a program in school. And so this student actually had a, a resource support teacher who was incidentally super passionate about um, figuring out how to um, better support students with um, vision loss in STEM. And so we were able to work with him. Um, eventually, we went on to do some work um, with a master's student from, uh, I believe it was OCAD University, who was himself um, blind, in order to start to talk about how do we further um, support students in this area and also became personally meaningful to me as well because um, my nephew who was born two years ago um, is partially blind as well and so I was like oh my goodness like now I have this like personal connection to it too um, and it's kind of disappointing to say that I feel like that's particularly one disability in the world of STEM that is not well supported um, so a lot of um, for example apps um, that are STEM related on the iPad um, are not actually like fully compatible with even the iPads inherent yeah. Uh, accessibility features. Um, and there's lots of, you know, for example, a lot of robotics, um, the more advanced ones, they have almost no accessibility features on them. And, and so they're very difficult to use for, for students, especially as they get older. Um, and so I think that's somewhere that we still have a long way to go. I'm really happy to see that, you know, for example, with tools like um, Scratch and even with Make Code Arcade and even more tools, there's a little bit more representation in terms of English language learners. Um, there might be a little bit more representation in terms of um, students who might struggle with hearing loss, for example. Um, but I find that there's definitely still um, some disabilities that I don't think a lot of um, ed tech companies are really taking into account when they when they build their tools. No, it's, and so it's, that's really something that it, we, we still have a long way to go. And I it's there's no easy solutions like there was certainly so many times where we would just you know there would be a whole team of us sitting down we're like we are having a hard time thinking about how can we modify this tool we don't know if it's it's possible and there were sometimes yeah. ways we found workarounds but it was very difficult and it's definitely something that can be very stressful for teachers in the classroom and so definitely still an area where um i don't yeah. have any easy solutions and i think definitely is really um on the ed tech companies themselves to start to think about how do we actually integrate those students better because they are so passionate about it. All the yes, students who we've worked with, yeah. they're just, they're so into it and they want to do it so bad. And the tools themselves often yes. are just so, that extra layer of barrier that shouldn't be there. Yeah. So, so talking with uh, a coding student who's blind, um, uh, he really advocated for, for screen reading. Yeah. So is that, you know, so, so that, that it, it like like it has to be compatible with a screen reader and yeah. and even even blocks can be done that way he yeah. primarily codes uh in language based in language based uh, uh yeah. coding languages because it's it's easier for him and he can yeah. like he can type things up in notepad pop it in and off yeah. he goes uh and and i've had a student who's looked into this and like while there's been s some attempts at getting 
this to be accessible for all people with with vision disabilities it's 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 a, an area of r real growth that we need yeah. to well especially at the on. elementary levels where the biggest oh, yes. issue is because there's you know at the very young level so for example we had um this robot called the bbot which is basically like yes. a very just sort of like directional based robot it's got mm -hmm. like you know four arrow keys on the top but luckily they're, they're like nice and raised up so it's actually quite um easily um made accessible for students with vision loss because there's yes such a tactile component to it but you know when a student is 10 years old they're ready to move on from that sort of thing they're maybe not quite ready for that more text-based coding and so there's this kind of like desert in the middle where we've got some tools for really young students that can be made accessible we've got some options for older students when they're ready for more text-based tools yes. to move on to that but then there's this kind of like no man's land in between there of how do we support those students who yeah. are way beyond you know those mm -hmm. tools for younger kids but are not yet ready for yeah. those tools that are meant for kind of older learners and so that's really the yeah. key area i think that we really yeah. need to so there's improve. like huge opportunities for people out there. So if you're listening yeah. and you have ideas, there's this is an open area. Uh, and we definitely encourage people to to, to go yeah. out, try some things, try to develop something. This would be amazing. Uh, one mm -hmm. thing I'd also like to point out is that all, of all the all the students that I've had with uh, vision disabilities, they've always had an EA that was very passionate about well, passionate about the coding so that they yeah. were, were able to do it, but they've had that passionate EA, uh, uh, sorry, educational assistant, we shouldn't talk in acronyms, uh, educational assistant there to really help and be like an extra, an extra, uh, an extra brain in the room to, yeah. to help out. Cause like the teacher has like 25, 30 students but that ea can then help concentrate on that one and also communicate between the teacher and the student yeah. and like help all that out so yeah. that's that's one thing that really also helps in case anybody needs to know that this is going to be yeah. broadcast uh we're, we're recording right now in uh in early november and people can go back and look at early november 2022 and see what's happening in ontario and realize you know these are the things that we really really need to have for our yeah. students yeah so from my perspective um there's probably an infinite number of reasons to bring coding specifically into the classroom but i think really all of stem um obviously today we've talked quite at length about um coding but that by no means is all that there is to the world of stem and so i really invite teachers to kind of open their minds to what actually counts as stem that's always been a big reflection question for me is why do we limit stem to these kind of areas of computer and you know chemistry and all these kind of hard sciences when actually there's so much more integration across across the kind of world of STEM. I always use 3D design as a great example of that because it's both very technical and very mathematical, but it's also very much design and art based. And so it's really such a beautiful illustration of kind of the holistic nature of STEM. Um, but I think really my first reason and I would encourage uh, teachers to um, integrate coding into the classroom is it's because some, it's something that your students are actually passionate about. Um, oftentimes I find um, that in my own teaching, there is a wide range of students in my classroom in terms of their levels of experience. I'll have some two students where like they've basically never done it before. That's fading a little bit now that it's actually in the curriculum. And so students are kind of required to actually learn it a little bit. But for some students, they haven't really grasped it super well. And so they're kind of at the beginning. There's some students who, you know, might have some experience, but they're ready for, for something a little bit more. And then sometimes I have students who, you know, they actually have a lot of experience. Sometimes they have even more experience than me. And that's actually awesome to give those students a leadership opportunity and to really start to encourage 
that kind of sharing of information in the classroom. So I think that's a really big one is to embrace that idea that you will have students with varying levels of experience. Um, and you can really um, kind of integrate that into your own teaching and actually make your own job easier because then you're not the only one who's there to answer questions. Um, but I think it also relates to that idea of there are many students who outside of the classroom, this is something that they're passionate about. And so it's really about leveraging those opportunities for students to explore things that are naturally interesting to them in a bigger way. And I think um, especially, you know, as adults, we sometimes, um, and I think rightfully so, sometimes view video games as somewhat of a um, sort of negative influence on our students. We we see them spending a lot of time inside, a lot of time on screens. And so I think this is a really good opportunity to take something that they are passionate about and have them see something deeper. Um, and so something that um, we always talked about, especially at STEMWISE, this was kind of like another sort of sub motto there, was the idea of moving students from digital consumers to digital creators. So rather than just passively consuming technology, um, in, in this case, video games, how can we move them towards using that passion for something that is fun, that is enjoyable, and can be really meaningful for people into something that they are now playing a more active role in that learning. They're coming to a deeper understanding of something they're already passionate about, and they're starting to actually do it themselves rather than just sort of passively sitting there and experiencing something that someone else has created for them. So I think that would be kind of reason number one. Reason number two, um, which is not the one that I always like to focus on the most, but I think it is, um, you know, true, is in the case of jobs. Um, so not only is this something that students often themselves are saying, this is what I want to do when I grow up. So I think it's a really meaningful opportunity to take students seriously, because oftentimes, especially adults are like, that's not a real job. <laughs> and it's like, no, it is actually, and you can make a lot of money doing it. Um, and so I think actually taking students at their word and taking them seriously and saying, okay, like, if that's what you want to do, let's do it now. Um, because oftentimes, and especially anyone who's ever taught at the secondary level might hear from students who left for university saying, I'm going to do this. I know I want to do this. And then they go and actually experience it. And they're like, oh, that's not really what I thought it was. I don't know that I like that. I think the younger we can with students actually give them the experience of, okay, you say you want to do this. Let's try it and see if you actually like it. It's meaningful for students. And so some students, they try it and they're like, yes, this is what I want to do. This was great. And other students are like, oh, I didn't realize that I had to work so hard to make a video game. I didn't realize it was so difficult. Maybe that's not what I actually want to do. Maybe that's not something that comes naturally to me, but maybe I can find another space in the world of video games that is right for me. Maybe I want to be more in the art department. Maybe I want to be more in marketing. Maybe I want to be more in like the story development and really helping them understand that there is more to this kind of industry than just I am the one who codes the video games. Gives them that meaningful opportunity to actually at an early age start to figure out is this a good fit for them so that they don't spend, you know, five years saying, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this, and then never actually experience it. And then when it's too late, and they've potentially already spent thousands of dollars uh, for college or university go, oh, that's not for me, and then start to feel that kind of panic. Um, and it's also like I talked about before, just beyond that, you know, you can make good money learning how to not just code in general, but actually code for video games. I think there was a whole like thing in British Columbia recently about them, like basically putting out a call, a call like, hey, we need more people who know how to code video yeah, games. It's, it's a booming industry, right? And it's, and um, it's so... not, not only just in the, in, the, in the gaming industry, but also in the film industry and exactly, the TV industry. Exactly. I mean, you, you look at the credits. Yes, they'll put up like there's one or two producers, you know, and there's yeah. like maybe a small cast of really like, like the first stars exactly. in a movie. But then and when you look at the rest of the credits exactly and then you start sorting out those credits for how many of those have like some kind of digital literacy exactly that that they're using it's it's huge exactly and so yeah so i'd say oh, go ahead. lucrative 
Yes. So it's like, you know, is money the only thing in the world? No, but it can be nice. And so, you know, it's useful to help students realize that their skills are actually in demand and they are actually legitimate skills and it's a legitimate career path and it's absolutely new. And, you know, we don't necessarily um, have, you know, decades of information on how it works, but it is an option for you. And so I think really inspiring students to explore that. So I think jobs would be reason number two. It's by no means the only reason or the most important reason, but I think it's a legitimate reason. Um, But really I'd say it's a third one for me at least would be um because it's really fun i'm sorry it is um it's not just fun for it's not just fun for the students but i have always found it to be really fun um i do not personally find um the actual experience of coding fun myself cuz it doesn't come naturally to me and i i'm the type of person where i really like to do things that i'm good at and i'm less interested in doing things that i'm not like good everybody at everybody else um, yes but, so that's always been kind of a, a challenge for me but really the fun part comes from always learning something new. I have been doing, you know, coding with students for, you know, more than six years now. And every single time without fail, I experience something new, I experience a new approach to it. I see a student do something that I've never seen them do before. And that to me is the fun part. Other teachers find the actual coding part fun themselves. And that's awesome for them. So you should still try it because you never know, you might love it. Um, But to me, the fun always comes from experiencing that joy of teaching students something and seeing them respond really well to it and seeing them teach each other something and teach me something as well. And so it's that constant feeling of I am never done. I've never learned it all. There is always a new approach. There's always a new way to um, kind of do this. That to me is the fun part is getting that experience all the time. Because at least for me, that's why I became a teacher is for the learning actually is because (laughs) as a teacher, you never stop learning. There's always something new. There's always a new way to do something. There's always an experience you have that teaches you something and so that to me is the fun part it's just the pure joy of doing something that's cool it's cool it's cool it is and students like it and they respond well to it and it's fun and so that to me is one of the biggest reasons is I think once teachers actually get over that fear factor of it's new and it's scary and they kind of get themselves a bit more comfortable they really start to experience the fun Mm -hmm. of it through not only their own experiences but the experiences of of their students that to me would probably be the three and that ability to to let go uh as well like it like I don't have to be the the expert in the room. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I'm probably never the expert in the room. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Even if you think you are, you're not. Yes. Yeah, and it and it's Sometimes actually it, the hard way. But but it's but it's a it's a very um, I won't say relaxing, but it, it's it's a good place to be as a teacher because yeah. then you can you you start looking around outside of yourself rather than looking at the things that you're like these are the things I want to see. Well, no, let's see what I can see. Yeah. And you wind up with so much more rich assessment possibilities that way. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I just uh, want to add about the fun part because our results, whatever we did, we did summer camp, we did other research, and it's all ended. One of the most, uh, the data given us, the one of the most important components of the coding or coding integrated disciplines are fun and excitement and it is said by teachers said by students said by researchers so this is this should be i think this is the must think should be there always and i'm hoping so it's gonna be always there if we lose it i think we are gonna lose the rest of the part or we lose the uh, just meaningful part of it yeah so thank you very much, Nicole, no for, for spending time with us. Uh, it's Absolutely. been an amazingly interesting 
conversation to have with you and mm-hmm. and we and we do want to to do a little bit more and kind of uh, kind of plumb the depths of your knowledge and your sure. experience in the classroom absolutely well i would be happy to and thank you so much for having me and talking to me it's been a pleasure it's our pleasure definitely thank you so much no worries <laughs>